Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, good morning and uh, welcome to Blue Ridge Church. My name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here. And this morning we're continuing a series that we've called Written in Stone, where we're just tracking through the Ten Commandments as they appear in Exodus 20. And so just as a reminder before we even dive in really this morning that these commandments aren't a list of commandments or rules that we do to make God happy with us. They're not. Uh, so that we can have a relationship uh, with him. But instead, they're a list of commandments and a list of things that we do once we're in a relationship with Jesus, right? Because it's that these things that invite us into, as we follow the commandments, they invite us into the abundant life that Jesus desires for us to have. And what we find is when we begin to to follow these things and to follow the heart of really what they're about, we find that our life begins to go smoother and begins to get better day after day. And we're reminded that they're not just a list of arbitrary rules, you know, like what fork to use first at a fancy restaurant or when you can and can't wear your white shoes. But instead, think of them as road signs. You know, road signs are designed to protect us and keep us safe and keep us uh, where we're going instead of in a ditch. Well, this is exactly what these commandments do for our lives, that when we find ourselves living according to the commandments, when we find ourselves living according to God's word, we find ourselves living in God's best for our life, the way that he has designed it. And so that's learning number one is that God's design is God's best for my life. That God's design is God's best for my life. And so with that in mind, let's just quickly review the commandments that we've covered so far since we're finishing up today. Number one is put God in first place. Number two is don't reduce God. Don't make him less than he is. Number three is don't associate God's name with anything that he doesn't want to be associated with. Number four is take the day off every other day, right? No, once a week. Number five, honor your father and mother. Number six, don't murder and in that one, we dealt with our anger because they're so uh, closely connected. Number seven is don't commit adultery. And number eight is don't steal. And that brings us to today, the ninth commandment found in Exodus 20, verse 16. It says, you must not testify falsely against your neighbor. And so commandment nine just simply says, don't lie. Don't lie. That according to CBS, the average American tells four lies a day. Isn't that crazy? I mean, isn't that crazy that probably all of us tell at least four lies a day? And what's crazy is that I don't even think politicians or toddlers were polled according to CBS. So <clears throat> that's just you and me they're talking about, I guess. 
But it's wrong to lie. And we all know that it's wrong to lie. We've learned since we were that high that it's wrong to lie, but we all do it. And so why do we do it? And how in the world do we stop? Psalm 34, 12 through 13 says, Whoever of you loves life and desires to see many good days, keep your tongue from evil and your lips from telling lies. Now, I don't know about you, but I want good days. And if I had to guess, you all want good days as well. And the thing is, is that God desires for us to have good days too. He wants us to have good days. And he tells us in his word that a key to having good days is by being honest, that that's how we enter into God's best for our life. And that's how we enter into God's best and stay there, right? Is by continuing to be honest. And so how? How do we be honest? Learning number two is just be consistent. Be consistent with your life. That so much of being honest is tied up in this idea of just being consistent with the way that we live our lives. That if we're honest about it, a quick definition of lying is just an intention to mislead. And we sometimes tell a half-truth, and a half-truth is really telling a whole lie, isn't it? And the issue is that we lie in all sorts of ways. You know, we can be uh, absolutely direct and say no when we should have said yes. But we can lie in creative ways by concealing information from people. We can lie by not even saying a word. I mean, how many of you have confronted your kids and said, what happened? And they say, I don't remember. It's like, okay, either two things are happening, right? Either you're lying or we need to go to the doctor and get your head checked because it just happened 10 seconds ago. Proverbs 12, 22 says, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in people who are trustworthy. Notice this contrast that Solomon sets up between detest and delight. I mean, who would you describe in your life that's a delight to you? I mean, when they come in the room, you can't help but light up and to be excited that they're there. I mean, I know that I'm this person for my wife. You know, she just can't help but just love that I'm there. But when we tell the truth, we are this person for God. You ever think about that? That when we tell the truth, God delights in us because it's how he designed us and how he hopes that we'll live in honesty with other people. And when we live an honest life according to God's design, we can make God smile. Isn't that a beautiful thing to think about? But dishonesty, on the other hand, it's detestable to God, Solomon says. It's detestable because it goes against so many of the things that God is for. God is, is for people, but uh, dishonesty destroys people. Dishonesty sabotages uh, our success, and it can sabotage the success of others. That dishonesty can destroy relationships. 
And dishonesty can damage our character. And dishonesty, God just simply doesn't like it. One of the things that makes dishonesty so tough is that it breaks down relationships. And one of the things uh, where this is intersected with my own life is uh, that I used to lie to Chelsea for, for years about my drinking and everything that was revolved around drinking. I, w- I would lie about it to her. And it's just not smart. It just wasn't smart. And what it ended up with is it, it almost ended our marriage because after years of telling her lies, she found herself married to a person that she just couldn't trust anymore. And it, takes, it took a lot of hard work to, to get back on God's path for my life. So I'd encourage you this morning, if there's something in your life that's causing you to be inconsistent, just ask God to, to take that, to take that out of your life. You know, for me, it was drinking, and I had to ask God to take that away, that I knew at some point that I couldn't be on God's best path for my life and to continue down my own path. Something else that I think will help us to be honest, is to be loving. And so that's learning number three, is to be loving. That sure, we need to be consistent with the way that we live our lives so that we uh, tell people the truth by just the way that we live. But we also need to be careful that we don't become a bully in the process. We've all been that person probably, or we've all certainly known that person who says, man, I gotta tell you the truth. And this is going to hurt. But what we know, because we've experienced it before, is that we shouldn't use the truth to beat other people over the head. We just can't be doing that. Because the truth is good because the truth comes from God. But what we have to remember is that the truth is never designed. Its motivation should never be to hurt somebody. Now, can it be to challenge somebody? Absolutely, it can, but it's never designed to hurt people. Ephesians 4, 15 reminds us of this. It says, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ. And so we see and we're reminded here that the truth without love is always gonna come across as a personal attack. That if we're going to love somebody, and if we're going to be honest with somebody, we really need to do that with love. Because if it comes across without love, it's just going to come across as an attack. And if it comes across as an attack, it's probably not going to be received. It's certainly not going to be heard with what we hopefully intended it to be heard with. Proverbs 16.23 says, Intelligent people think before they speak. And how true is that? I mean, it seems like a no-brainer, but we think and we strategize our way through all of life. But do we think and do we strategize our way through conversations? Do we put our mind in gear before we put our mouth in gear? A lot of times, we don't. And one of the hardest uh, people it is to do with is 
our family, you know, the people that we love the most. So I need to think about this before I say it. And really, it's one of the hardest things about parenting. You know, we've got a two and a four-year-old, and I can't approach them the same way with truth. I can't, because if I tell my oldest something the same way that I would tell my youngest, he's going to be in a pile of tears. And if I tell my youngest something the same way that I would tell my oldest, he won't even hear me because, you know, you got to kind of yell with, with that one. But everybody receives things differently, and we need to think about who we're talking to before we just start talking. Jesus reminds us in Matthew 12, 34, for whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Whatever's in my heart determines what I say. And so Jesus reminds us here that the real problem is not my mouth. Even though that's what gets me in trouble, it's really my heart that gets me in trouble. So learning number four is just be honest with yourself. Be honest with yourself. That if what's going on outside of me is an indication of what's going on inside of me, then I'm reminded that the heart of the issue of lying is really my heart. That if I'm not honest about what motivates me to lie, I'm probably never going to see that my heart is the real issue here. That lying isn't the problem, it's a symptom of a deeper problem. And I think that's why so many of us lie. I mean, according to CBS, it says uh, four times a day we lie. I mean, think about it, uh, about some of the reasons that we lie. Somebody maybe hurt us, and so we tell a lie about them to, to hurt them or to destroy them. We gossip about them and, and say things that aren't true so that people think less of them in hopes that they'll think more of us. We tell lies about people because maybe we're jealous about what they have or what they've done or, or what they've accomplished. We lie to avoid punishment. You know, kids do this a lot. We lie to protect our best interests and we lie so that we don't have to experience pain. Adam told this type of lie in the Garden of Eden when he pointed the finger at Eve for their sin, both of their sins. And I love this because it just sounds like a typical man. It says, the man replied, it was the woman that you gave me. She gave me the fruit and I ate it. And so what he does here is he blames God first. God, it was your fault. You're the one that made her. And then he says, no, it was the woman's fault. It's like, God, if you were married to her, you would have done it too. No, I'm just kidding, right? <laughs> but if Adam were honest with himself, do you think he would have tried to pull that? I don't think he would have. That... We lie for all sorts of different reasons, and we lie to appear better than we are. We lie to impress other people. We lie to 
create an image. We lie to maintain a perception that, you know, I've got it all together. This is one that I personally trip over uh, all the time. And in sobriety, I've had to, to deal with this because I walked around all the time crushed about what you thought about me and what other people thought about me. And so God gave me a, a gift. He said, Cody, no one thinks about you as much as you think about you. Isn't that true? That nobody thinks about me as much as I think about me. And what happened is that's an incredibly freeing statement that I'm walking around lying so that you think I've got it all together, so that they'll be impressed, so that, you know, uh, they'll approve of me. But nobody's really even thinking about me. And here I am on a hamster wheel, lying, trying to be something or pretend to be something that I think you want me to be. And you're just thinking about you. Just like all the other commandments that we've talked about, we're reminded that pride is really the root of so many of these, isn't it? That we lie to get our way because we have a pride issue and we have a, a controlling issue. That we lie to, to keep the peace. I mean, how many of you ask your spouse, what's wrong? Nothing. Yeah, okay, just me. All right. <clears throat> Confession is good for the soul. I'm just, I'm just telling you. We go and pay every cost to avoid conflict, don't we? We'll even lie to avoid conflict. And so what's the solution? I mean, we've got all these reasons, all these motivations to lie what do we do about it? I mean, what's the solution? Well, I think part of it is to be honest with ourselves. We need to be honest with ourselves. That when we find ourselves tempted to lie, we need to ask. We need to pause first and then ask God to help us. God, what's really going on here? What's really going on in my heart? What am I really afraid of? Why do I feel so much pressure to do this or be that kind of person. God, would you help me to just be myself and to tell the truth? Now let's jump into our 10th and final commandment. Exodus 20, verse 17 says, you must not covet your neighbor's house. You must not covet your neighbor's wife, male or female servant, ox or donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. And so commandment 10 is simply to be content, to be content. Now, I think that this is why Scott put me up this week is because he knows these are my favorites that I like to break, you know, lying and, and coveting. But I think we find ourselves here, don't we? Have you ever found yourself saying things like, well, man, I'd just be satisfied if, if I had what they have. If I had uh, their marriage, if I had their car, if I had their home, then I'd be satisfied. If I had their kids and not mine, you know, then I'd be satisfied. If I had their job or their financial situation or their 
you know, retirement bankroll, then I'd be satisfied. And it's in this context where we all find ourselves that God gives us the 10th commandment. Some people call this the hidden commandment. They call it the hidden commandment because it has so much to do with our thought life. Because you don't know when I'm breaking this commandment, and I don't know when you're breaking this commandment. But just because it's a hidden commandment doesn't mean that it's not an important commandment. Because what we discovered throughout this process, throughout the last several weeks, is that our thoughts eventually will lead us into actions. Because it's only a matter of time for me thinking about something that I don't have, that I'm going to do something about it. And if it's something that belongs to somebody else, right, that's the problem. Because if I think about it for long enough, it doesn't take long for me to do something dumb to go get it, right? And so we see a spillover in so many of the other commandments, because if I covet something long enough, I may be tempted to steal to get it. If I covet something long enough and I stay in that thought process, I may kill to get it. If I covet something long enough and I just let my thoughts control me, I may lie to get it, and then I'll be violating the other commandments. And so what we see is that coveting really becomes a contentment issue. So learning number five is to be content. I mean, it sounds simple, doesn't it? But don't mistake it as easy just because it's direct. Don't mistake it that we're going to get this figured out all overnight because it's a simple thing to do. It's going to take practice. And one of the things that that I do in my own life is when I find myself wanting the things that other people have, is I'll just write down three things that I'm grateful for. You know, when, when Chelsea and I are going through a particularly tough time, you know, during uh, that move from Texas, and it feels like there's so much, you know, weighing on your shoulders, and it feels like every day is a hard day, you know, we just lay down on the pillow and say, what are three things you're grateful for? And we kind of rehearse that. And what happens is when you do that, you begin to retrain your mind to think about the things that God has given you and think about the ways that he's been good to you. And you start to see more of those things in your life. So again, if you find that thing that you're um, coveting, just write down three things that you're grateful for. And I promise one of two things will happen. Uh, one, you'll begin to see all the good things in your life and you'll learn to become more grateful. Or number two, you're going to write so much that your hand's going to cramp up and you're going to think, I got to be more grateful. But the question is, is how do we move beyond our desires? How do we desire less? If our desires lead us to coveting, then how do we desire less? But the key here is not to stop desiring less. The challenge here is to desire the things that ought to be worthy of our desire, that God desires things for us too, and do God's desires line up 
with our desires. So we think when we hear this commandment that to not covet is a command to desire less, but really it's a command to desire better. To desire better. Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus tells us this. He says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. And so we're reminded that desiring better means that we got to stop looking at what other people have. That I need to stop looking at what I don't have. And to be reminded that God has a plan. And one of the most frustrating things is that God has a plan, but he has a timeline too. And it doesn't always look like ours. That God desires better for us just like we desire better. And it's our responsibility to desire better by asking God what he wants for our lives. By asking for the knowledge of his will for us and asking for his power to carry that out. That God wants to see us win, but it might not look like the same win that we have our eyes on. And it certainly most likely won't be on the same timeline. But what we're reminded is that God's design is God's best for our lives. Just is. That God's design, whatever he has in mind, is God's best for my life. I'm going to give you another tool. Since we look around and we're tempted to covet and want what other people have, it's Romans 12, 15. Paul says, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That somebody else got a promotion at work, celebrate with them. Even though you wanted it, celebrate with them. That somebody else got married and you wanted to be married, we'll celebrate with them. Get them a wedding gift. That somebody else got pregnant and is going to have a baby and, and you've wanted to get pregnant, it's hard, but the scripture says to, to celebrate with them. You know, Scott wants a pickup truck, and I have one. And I told him he could borrow yours whenever he needs it. So it's all good. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says, Enjoy what you have rather than desiring what you don't have. Just dreaming about nice things is meaningless. It's like chasing after the wind. And don't we know this to be true? I mean, anytime I've ever wanted something, probably anytime you've ever wanted something, the moment that you finally got it, it was fun for a little bit, but then we realize that our appetites are never really satisfied. They're just, they're just not. There's always something on the horizon. And maybe it's time to just look around at the things that God has given us and say, God, thank you. I'm content, I'm thankful, I'm good. And if you're in the room today and you're not a Christ follower, 
I'd encourage you today to start that relationship with him. And maybe you find yourself and you've tried to find satisfaction in your life through work and through the collection of, of material goods and stuff or experiences. You've tried to find satisfaction through significance in prominent positions, that you've tried to find satisfaction in relationships and adventure. And I mean, the list goes on and on. And I think we've all done it. But at the end of the day, you still feel like you're missing something. Let me tell you, Jesus is the something that you're missing. I'm not telling you that as a pastor because it's my job to tell you that. I'm, I'm telling you that as a person, that I've been there and I've done that, and nothing has satisfied me like Jesus Christ. Because with Christ, I've found a life filled with the blessings of God, and it's really the life that God has desired for me to have from the very start. A life in relationship with him. So if you've never taken that step to put your faith in him, put your faith in him today. Take that step and say, Jesus, I trust you. I put my faith in you to really satisfy me. Let's pray. Jesus, thanks. Thanks for your word that reminds us how to live a life according to your design. Thanks for your word that challenges us and directs us and invites us into the best life that we could possibly ever live an abundant life filled with your blessings. A hard life sometimes, for sure. But a sweet life because we know that you are with us. Jesus, I pray if there's somebody in the room today that hasn't yet crossed that line of faith, would you just help them to see that you are the answer? That they can truly find satisfaction in you, that we don't learn to be consistent. We don't learn to be honest just by white knuckling it and trying really hard. But we learn as we learn to follow you and to depend on you and to lean on you. And so we're thankful for that. We're thankful that you do that for us, that you save us, sure, but that you walk with us. We're thankful for that. And would you help us, if we crossed the line of faith a long time ago, would you help us to continue to walk in you in a, in a manner that's pleasing to you, in a, in a life that follows your road signs so that we stay right where you've designed us to stay. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, thank you for hanging out with us this morning. If you've come prepared to give this morning, my goodness, thank you. Um, there are boxes in the back of the room that you can go ahead and drop those gifts off. We thank you again for doing that.
If you did accept Christ for the very first time this morning, we'd love uh, to hear about that on your connection card. You can go ahead and check that box. We'd love to send you something in the mail just to help you on your faith journey. I got to tell you, on September 3rd, we're only having one service at 11 a.m. So on September 3rd at 11 a.m., we're doing baptisms, child dedication, and communion together. We're going to celebrate that day together. If you want to be baptized, you can indicate that on the connection card as well. That's just an opportunity uh, to tell the world about what Jesus is doing in your life. And if you want to dedicate your kids that day, we'd love to see you take that step um, with your family. We don't baptize infants here at Blue Ridge Church. We believe that uh, it's their decision to make when they grow up and can make that decision on their own but we will certainly dedicate them. And when you dedicate, it's simply an opportunity for you to say as a family, man, we're going to work towards and strive towards a Christ-centered home so that when my kid is ready to cross the line of faith, I know that I've made it as easy and as accessible as I possibly can uh, so that they can have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's a way to partner with the church and stand before others and give you some accountability around that as you dedicate your kids. Listen, if you're thinking about being baptized and you're baptized as an infant, you know, praise God for that, for that decision that your parents and your grandparents made a long time ago uh, for you. But if you're thinking about being baptized as an adult, I'd encourage you to do it. It doesn't take anything away from that infant baptism, but it certainly is just a way to celebrate uh, with your friends and family, and to tell them, look at what Jesus is doing in my life. So I encourage you to do that with us uh, on September 3rd. But again, thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Thanks for taking time out of your week, and we will see you next week.